Hello and welcome back to Explio Explorers with me, Siobhan Smith. Welcome to episode six. This series zooms in on the nine success factors for business transformation. These were identified through data gathered from over 1,000 senior decision makers in Explio's annual business transformation index report. Thank you so much for the feedback on the series so far. We're delighted to see that people are sharing the episodes among each other. And we're just past the halfway mark. And today I'm really excited about the next success factor that we're here to talk about, which is being more adventurous with automation. So we have an expert on as always, and what we're trying to do is get to the bottom of three core elements to this success factor. Number one, why is it important? Number two, what are the common challenges that businesses and people face when it comes to being more adventurous with automation? And number three, what are the top tips that you can offer to the listeners today that they can take into their way of working from here on out? We hope you enjoy. Veronica Breen is the Head of Data Science and Insights, Ethics, Risk and Compliance at Novartis. And Novartis is a leading global medicines company with over 110,000 employees worldwide that provide solutions to address the evolving needs of patients. They claim to use innovative science and digital technologies to create transformative treatments in the areas of great medical need. And this, as you can imagine, is intrinsically linked to Veronica's role. Veronica herself is driven by a desire to use data and information to improve our lives through understanding how information is created and exchanged between people and machines. Veronica believes that we are now at the point in history where machines can be more powerful than the humans that created them. A scary and frightening thought for many. And she is excited to be at the forefront of an industry that is blending the human and machine worlds, an effort she believes will reshape business and society in the years to come. Veronica has over 15 years experience working in the data field and has held several strategic roles in data science, data management and data strategy across a wide variety of industries. She has an MBA and is a PhD candidate in explainable AI, something which I'm extremely grateful for because I think we need somebody who can really explain what we mean by today's success factor being more adventurous with automation. Veronica, welcome. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thanks a million, Siobhan. I'm really excited to be here. Great. So firstly, I think it's important to state what do we mean when we say more adventurous with automation and how is this different from the approaches the companies might have been taken towards automation to date? Sure. So I'm going to give you a way to think about automation now that might be different. So I'm going to break it down into three ways in which automation can really support businesses. So firstly, businesses um, can automate activities or decisions that people can do really well, um, or it can automate decisions or activities that people cannot do very well, or it can do something completely different that people are not doing at all. And I'll give you a little bit of an example under each of those. So the first example in activities or decisions that people can do very well. So this is like automating and manufacturing, for example. We've all probably seen those cool videos of Amazon with all the robots going around. And I know I'm based in the west of Ireland and we've two Amazon centers moving. So that is the technology there. It's they're kind of manual activities, basically, that people, it's very obvious whether it's it's being done right or whether it's been done wrong. 
Another example of that is we recently had our census and at the bottom of all of our census forms, there's a scanning form. So what's happening now is all of those are being scanned. All the data entry has been completely automated for that. So there's no more hundreds of people typing in our, our census forms. So that's really activities or decisions that people can do really well. But then there's the area of automating decisions or activities that people cannot do very well. This is like diagnosing um, medical issues, uh, underwriting of um, financial loans, for example, is another example. These are things, our activities, our decisions that people have to train to do. It takes somebody a long time, for example, to be able to diagnose a patient and as the same as with underwriting. And then there's the area of doing something that people or humans cannot do by themselves at all. So this is, I think, the drug discovery element. I don't know if we've seen in the news recently that DeepMind have come up with 200 million different protein um, structures. And this is something that humans could never have done by themselves. This is completely reshaping, should we say, the business model. Brilliant. Um, some fantastic examples there. And I liked how you spoke about, I suppose, the next level, you know, things that humans aren't uh, doing at the moment. And I think that that probably links in nicely with what we're trying to say as the success factor around being more adventurous with automation. So it's thinking outside of even automating things as a person does them. Um, but obviously that comes with a lot of challenges. And if it was easy, I think we'd be much further down the road than we currently are when it comes to automation and automation practices. Um, and full transparency and I've said this to, to other guests as well this was one of the most difficult um, podcast episodes to actually um garner up a bit of um, interest in in terms of talking about it because I think there's a fear in people of putting themselves forward as a trailblazer um, so with that in mind I suppose what do you think the common challenges are around um, being adventurous with automation I think, first of all, you need to have the fundamentals in place, right? So you need to obviously have data. So if you want to automate a decision, for example, you need to have a training data set. You need to have um, a statistical significant data so that you can actually use that data set and that it's meaningful. And then you obviously also need technology, right? So you need to have a technology stack um, to actually be able to data process um, and to do high end and high scale computing as well. So that they, those are fundamental things that before you even start, I think. Um, and that often is a, that in itself can be a challenge to get you off the, um, off the starting block. Um, and then there's the kind of people piece as well. So not only when you're dealing with automation, you, you kind of need two sets of people. You need the people that will help with the change management piece. So the piece from moving it from the old to the new. And then you need the new set of people that are um, skilled once the automation or once the redesign has been completed. And again, it may be difficult with the market to find those people. You may have existing people in place um, that you want to use that might not have the skill set. So there's a lot of kind of capability development that is often a challenge as well from both starting the project and kind of throughout the project as well. But for me, the biggest challenge by far is the change management piece of it that it's not just the given activity that you're looking to automate. It's the whole process and ecosystem that goes around that. 
And I think an example of that is if we just think of, we'll say, even the census piece, right? Um, so if we're, if you're, we're using OCR and imaging to automate the um, data entry piece, that in itself is an activity that's automated, but the rest of the process needs to be looked at as well. So what happens if someone crumples their census form and the scanning doesn't work properly? Um, what happens if you scan it and only 80% of it um, comes on? So all of these um, impacts above the wider process also need to be looked at as well. So it isn't just the activity itself. And then there's the piece as well about the change management in terms of getting people to to truly trust and have confidence in the model. There requires a lot of trust and confidence. There's often a lack of trust in the information. People are also uncomfortable with the idea of what happens after we're automated. Does that mean I'm automating out of my job? So all of these things need to be kind of clearly um, managed and need to be upfront and honest as well, especially with that area of automation. People often fear, oh God, I'm going to lose my job. It's going to be an element of job loss after this. And you need to be honest about that. If it is there, you know, make sure you're upfront. What does that mean for them? So all of these factors need to be kind of included. But for me, the change management piece is the kind of critical success factor, I would say. If you can get that right, if you have an eye on that all the time, you know, the rest of it kind of will fall into place. Absolutely. And there's a couple of things there you mentioned. I suppose something that stuck out to me there is the people piece that you were just talking about. And I remember hearing um, at a conference a couple of years ago that um, we didn't even adopt like automatic cars <laughs> for years. Many people listening to this episode probably still going around with a manual gearbox. And that was used in many places as an example of like resistance to that sort of change. Um, and I suppose practically, do you have tips kind of from your experience around how to make that change a success? Yeah, um, I think as well, you need to be very clear at the start. What is your people strategy? Right. So if ultimately you are going to automate a process and that you're going to significantly reduce the um, the human footprint, that needs to be very obvious and factored in and very upfront. Um, but if you are also, we'll say, automating in terms of there will always be a human in the loop. Those people need to be absolutely involved in the development uh, of the model and at the iterations of the model as it progresses as well, so that you you do try and build that trust and confidence. Um, because if the if for example with um, anything to do with we'll say risk assessments or medical diagnosis, people are very confident obviously in their own capabilities. And if we're coming in with a model saying you know our model has greater accuracy and precision than you will do, you know we need ultimately for them to accept that. And the only way, ways in which we can accept it is by understanding them as much as we can and also hearing our feedback. Because whilst we as technicians can create a brilliant model, you know, we don't have the deep domain expertise that somebody has been doing the, the, the job for 10 or 15 years. So there is really important that the technical team are open to that as well, but that ultimately you know where it's going, right? So you need to know at the start whether these people are going to be with you or whether they're not, right? And if they are going to be with you, they need to be fundamentally part of reshaping that. And if they're not, we still obviously need to work through it with them. But that needs to be kind of we need to be more conscious of that. Absolutely. And being transparent, people just appreciate it so much, you know. Um, exactly. 
And then if we look at another side of the people side of things, um, say if we go up to like board level or senior executive level, some of the things you've mentioned there are probably things that unless they have a technical background or technical expertise might be a bit foreign to them, particularly when you look at being more adventurous with automation. So that's the part you were talking about where machines essentially doing things that even humans aren't doing at the moment, you know, Um and I suppose, how practically do you sell that into the board um, or what advice would you have for anyone who's trying to bring automation to the next level in that sense? The best uh, advice I could give is to really have a good problem, to really understand the problem. And the problem shouldn't be I want more automation or the CEO said we should automate or anybody else said we should automate. You should really understand what is what is the main challenge? So if we're automating an activity, why is it we're automating that activity? Is it that people, we have 100 people doing it and now we know we can automate it? Is it that the people that are doing it now, the decisions that they're making may not be um, the best quality decisions? So really understand the actual problem and what are the measures of success at the end? And I think that's how you will sell it by really understanding the business benefit and the business impact. But that point as well about um, on the board level, maybe that traditionally they may be from more kind of sales backgrounds or finance backgrounds uh, and maybe not the, the kind of technical element. So people in my role, I see that as one of the kind of key activities that we need to do. We need to be always educating as much as possible um, and capability building, not just within our own team, but upwards as well. And doing that by showing evidence of how we are making an impact and also the things that we need from them to make an impact. Yeah, brilliant advice there as well. Um and we actually have, um, you know, board level support as one of our success factors to this series because it's just pivotal. You know, um, transformation success is really, you know, it's really important to have that buy in at that level. Um, and as well, you know, we've kind of gotten this theme over the last couple of episodes of like how important not just communicating internally is, but kind of marketing internally. So like you said, they're kind of tangible benefits um, and not just saying this is our plan. This is what we plan to do. We'll update you every six months or whatever, you know, making sure that everyone in the organization is kind of very much involved. That seems to be like one of the, the key teams emerging from these interviews. Um, but yeah. back to the, mm-hmm. Sorry, no, no go ahead. Say- I would say on that as well that it is important for for people when we're we're doing this marketing as well that they understand that this isn't it's not like it's like this today and tomorrow it's going to be completely different you know we've got to expect that there will be this kind of uphill graft that in many cases it will get worse before it gets better you know so there needs to be a level of acceptance uh, especially with um i think this senior management that if they invest in something it may not it may not turn into fruition in six months it may not it may have to be a kind of two-year commitment so that kind of understanding and staying committed and disciplined as well and resilience so i i think the marketing piece is really important for for that as well so that the team don't get deflated so that you know you do take a step back and say wait a second we're here but this is where we're supposed to be. You know, it's sometimes called this kind of groan zone where everyone's like, oh, before that kind of gets to the agreement. <laughs> and I think that, you know, telling our story allows the technical team as well to sit back and kind of go, OK, we're on the right track because very often they may get just, well, it's you haven't done this release and this feature isn't there and this isn't there. So I think the marketing piece does 
um, does peace does benefit not just the um, senior management and the wider organization, but the technical team as well. Definitely. And that's a fantastic definition, the grown zone, because I think we've all been there. And I think we've all been part of change initiatives as well that were just by the time they came to the people, they just felt like they weren't thought out, you know, and it's all right to not have a full plan in the, the very beginning. But I think the more clear and transparent you can be with people, the less is up for discussion or speculation on the back of that as well. Um but if I bring it back to the research we did, so in the Business Transformation Index, uh, we researched over a thousand decision makers. Um, so there were 70% were director level and above. Um, and frankly, you know, the only um, way we were able to see or identify more adventurous with autom- automation as a trend was by breaking the data down into starters, drivers and stars. So the stars were about 22% of the respondents and we could see that the um, decisions that they were making in their business were directly correlated to future growth and expected revenue. Um, but broadly, like if you look across the, the data, we had 69% using some form of automation. Um, but it was very low numbers. I thought it was quite striking, you know, that there was a f- kind of maybe 31% looking at um or sorry, 41% looking at process automation, which was the highest. And then it kind of went downwards from there, like 20% looking at low code, no code, 26% looking at RPA, robotics and cobotics. They're quite low numbers, um, I would have thought. Would that be your impression as well? And if so, um, is this a sign that we're not far as far advanced as we think we are when it comes to automation? I think it depends on... Um it depends on the the industry and the company. Um, but I would agree that we're not bold enough. And very often what happens in this automation area is that, you know, it's a kind of a mandate. We're going to automate more. And consequently, um, that real having a kind of a product view or a, a digitalization view isn't factored in into the initial projects. And consequently, what springs up are these kind of, um very much these what they call kind of quick wins, but have have very little impact, should we say. Um, and I think that start, that should start with really understanding the problem a little bit more and trying to go in and invest where make big investment where it can actually matter. And that, again, is the is, is kind of leaning into the being a bit more adventurous. Really, what needs to happen is you need to get, you know, your product manager, someone from digital, a data scientist, and of course, the people from the domain expertise to really begin to say, what are the problems? How could we fix it? And kind of really understand where is that sweet spot of of automation that would make a huge impact or a really important impact. But very often that doesn't happen. What happens is, well, we need to automate and then senior managers uh, have to kind of give like four or five different projects. Mm. And do you Oh, sorry, just on that, I'm really interested in that. So would you say then that this um, mindset or this approach of start small and scale isn't always necessarily a, a good way about, to go about things? I think it depends in where, in how it's, how it's packaged, right? So if it's start small and scale, but you need to have an eye on the scale, right? So it's start mm. small and scale, not start small and just do, right? So, um, yeah, <laughs> it needs to make, we need to ensure that we have it broken down sufficiently and that that scale piece 
does have the big impact that we're looking for. Um, but what happens very often is people want to just, we'll say, I want to run some NLP to um, identify what are the key themes in this document. And then, yeah, well, why why is that document important? You know, and it's just like, oh, well, our team use it. It's, it's not thought through in terms of, oh, well, we're spending 10 hours a week looking at this and we'll get another one in a month where we'll have to do the same thing. So the actual business impact of the project isn't really kind of assessed, should we say? Yeah, that's a really good point. And it actually is so interesting because this actually came up when we were talking to Finn Goulding about board level buy in. And he was saying, you know, he actually doesn't like like minimal viable product and, and that sort of a thing, because he says that the person, usually the CIO, then kind of nearly has to commit to the scale part. And that's where it gets really difficult, you know, Um because you need to bring other people in. And as you know, if you haven't been the one to start small, it's hard. Then you need to get their buy in to help scale. So, um, yeah, sorry. I, sorry for interrupting you there. But I just thought that that was a really interesting point. Just to bring it back to your point about people. And I know you were mentioning about people um, losing jobs. But as you know, at the moment, we're, we're kind of in a bit of a, a crisis in the opposite direction where we have um, a unique skills uh, shortage at the moment. And there are more jobs than there are people. Um, and in our business transformation index, we had a statement which said um, we need to be far more radical in our adoption of automation. There simply won't be enough skilled people to get the work done. And it was agree, kind of strongly agreed disagree. Um, and only 27% of the respondents strongly agreed with that. 49% somewhat agreed. So they think that automation plays a role. But in your view, can automation um, and being more adventurous with automation play a really key role in um, the challenge that's facing most businesses today around skills? For me, I fundamentally believe it can, right? But I think it it will completely transform the business and that would mean also the people in it so I don't think if you were to keep the current set of people you won't get um, your automation and your transformation right it needs because it needs fresh thinking and the the level of resistance is just it's too it's even in terms of getting the right problem to get the right problem or to get that board level support or that senior support of saying yes we can automate it to open the mind to to say we can do this even even with the current set of people, that is even difficult, let alone to manage the change to completely transform it. So very often, if especially in that um, in those kind of buckets where it, you're automating something that people find difficult to do or decisions that people find difficult to do or aren't doing at all, you will get so much resistance from people to do it that very often what happens is that those things go hand in hand with the large reduction of headcount, which makes it easier to do. Um, and then you're bringing in kind of fresh people and making uh, and building something new together um, because the people have, are so attached to the old way of doing things. Um, and that comes through even in your research there. It, there's a, a there's a fundamental disbelief that it's possible. And of course, mm. it is possible. You know, if you look at it, we'll say the newer companies that have come up in the last 10 or 15 years or 25 years now, you know, they're largely automated they're lar they're largely data driven companies so it's just the willingness um to kind of yeah step in i would say yeah um and what do you think i suppose i want to say i want to say in a nice way but basically older organizations who might be struggling with legacy systems and the likes what do you think they could learn from those type of organizations who are um, more adventurous with automation 
Yeah, I think, you know, the of course, that is an issue that's the older companies will always say this. We have legacy issues. Um, but, you know, there there's also the mindset. So there's the piece about are we technically capable? Like for even within um, Novartis now, we are a hundred year old company, but we're definitely technically capable of automating. Um, but do we still have that mindset of um, of a kind of older company? Are we more, um, I suppose, slower to adopt new technologies i would say yes like we have strategically made a decision to back data science and ai we've a chief data and ai officer um you know it's we've probably over 500 resources throughout the company so we definitely strategically backed it but we are 500 in comparison to 110,000 you know mm-hmm. so the so we are the change agents should we say right and then we have a responsibility to be resilient and to to understand that element of change management as well that it is about trying to inspire people and bringing people on board as well so we ultimately have to win them over and that often is the most challenging um thing to keep resources because if you've got a really good technical resource in data science and ai they have a background in drug discovery and drug development they want to be doing cutting edge work they want to be doing the drug discovery that deep uh, mind is doing um but what we have here yeah, is the kind of challenge of winning hearts and minds as well. And very often technical people mightn't be the best at doing that. They, you know, mm. they want to kind of do the work and see the output. So that is the challenge that they, that, that older companies have. And I think what they can learn from new companies is, is that kind of entrepreneur mindset and willingness to, to, um, yeah, take a leap. But of course, on the flip side of that, they will say, we don't need to do that now. We are kind of we are already big and let's kind of move reasonably and slowly and kind of methodically. That absolutely marries up as well to our explosives, you know, um, with our clients, because we obviously sell in services, you know, to help with transformation. So we do a lot of automation, AI, machine learning, etc. But we rarely sell just that service we usually have wraparound services for that so that we can provide like the change agents the change managers the business analysts you know so that we have the exact same thing we want to make sure that we keep our technical people happy with that and we're seeing the same with software development now as well because a lot of software developers i think felt maybe they were they just want to be building cool things, you know, and that's the the kind of vibe we get off them and they maybe they were spending too much of their time kind of interacting too much kind of with clients defining the requirements and you know these sort of things and and um and yeah when it's a competitive market out there they're going to go somewhere that'll go oh we have trained and skilled business analysts to help with this and change managers to help with this etc so um yeah it completely marries up to what we see um i've one more question oh go ahead and i think and what we try and do that which is a nice tip maybe is uh we try and do this kind of three in a box model right where you have someone from data science and ai someone from the business and someone from technology um being kind of co-responsible so it's never just one person leading it's not necessarily the product owner will obviously be there but the core responsibilities from data science and ai technology and the business so that we have kind of that triad because ideally you'd have a person in this unicorn world that kind of fits into all three of those but that's that's um not usually possible yeah and if you can get i suppose those three elements working together well like that's the magic isn't it it is that brings us to the final part of the podcast today veronica so um we like to finish the episodes with our famous 
tips, top tips. Um, and this is really just to kind of pull together the various different things we've kind of touched on today um, to have some key takeaways for our listeners who are trying to learn more about how to be successful in business transformation. So when it comes to the success factor, more adventurous with automation, what would be your top tips for anyone today that they could kind of take into their way of working from here on out? So I think the first one would be be really clear on the problem. So your problem shouldn't be let's automate or um, or someone more senior or your boss has said let's automate. It has to be a really clear problem. Uh, really understand the impact of the how the activity blends into the overall process and what are your kind of key benefits. I think that's a, always the first place to start. Uh, and then the second piece is kind of really understand the users of the system, um, whether it's an automated decision um, or whether it's an actual system you're building and really empathize with them as well. Like I said, in many cases, there might be a lot of fear around this. They could end up with um, job reductions um, or at the very least, it, it would be some change to their current process. So it's really important to understand that and then also make sure that if you are using an automated model, that it is explainable, that, you know, you are following um, a clear way to outline how the how the model is working so that if you are making decisions, you can that the person that is receiving that decision fully understands that there are technical ways in which you can do that. Um, and I think your your data science team will be able to support you with that. But you, you should have that as an ask so that the user will be confident in the output that they actually really understand it. And then finally, um, I think I'd just be a bit bolder and braver. You, you can automate full processes. You can automate decisions. Um, but so, so I think it's, it's just to try and take that leap of faith um, and make sure you have good, solid backing around whatever you're choosing to do. But I would, um, I would look to have a big plan. And if you want to start, start small, that's always a great play, place to go. But know where you're going and kind of continually build on that. Um, because all of the technologies out there now, we have so much information. I think, you know, there's um, petabytes of information that are created on an hourly basis now. So, yeah, believe that it's possible, <laughs> I would say, um, because it is. So just uh, be a bit braver. I think that would be what I would Fantastic. say. Fantastic. Fantastic. Listen, Veronica, I could have talked to you all day. Thank you so much for your time. I know you're really busy. We really appreciate you joining Explio Explorers today. Brilliant. Thanks a million. And talk to you soon. So that's it for episode six. Thank you so much to Veronica for her time. Um, I really enjoyed discussing being more adventurous with automation and definitely learned loads from her experience and from her knowledge as well. So big thanks again to Veronica. Thank you for tuning in to our episode. You'll find the Business Transformation Index and the other podcasts on our website. Just go to explio.com forward slash podcasts. We'd love to hear from you. Join in the conversation. Just use the hashtag Explio Explores online. And next up, we have a really interesting topic, which is all about preventing underutilization. And I'm delighted to say that we'll be joined by the CIO for the UK of Volkswagen Financial Services, Christian Metzner. Christian has so much experience and so much knowledge around business transformation and particularly digital transformation programs. He's a lot of insight to share with us, and I'm really looking forward to sharing that with the listeners. But in the meantime, as always, we hope you have a great week.